All right, hello everybody. Welcome back to the Finding Home podcast, where home is more than just the sticks and bricks that you live in. I am Keith. I am your host, and today we're going to continue our discussions of basically what it's like to live here along the Wasatch Front. Again, for reference, I was born and raised here, and you can probably hear my kids in the background yelling at each other. So, you know, such things still happen around here. Uh, like I may have mentioned in the last episode, I'm kind of new with this whole situation, so this First couple episodes might seem a little bit rough, but I do have a lot of things I want to talk about. And today I'm just figuring I'm just going to wax a little bit nostalgic. Talk a little bit about what it was like for me growing up here in, and specifically here in, in, well not here, I don't live there anymore, but specifically in Sandy and uh, what that all entailed for me and what that did impact the person that I am and how I feel about the direction things have gone since I've been a kid. Something that I have consistently run into as as I get older. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 37 years old as of right now, but uh, increasingly I feel kind of like an old man because I've got these kids and my, I'm, I'm trying to raise them and I want them to have an authentic childhood experience, right? And my, my childhood experience wasn't like a lot of people's in that I didn't do any extracurricular stuff. Um, I'm the sixth of seven kids and I really think the truth was my parents just couldn't afford it. You know, you had to be ridiculously, ridiculously into something and you had to usually pay for part of it yourself, which I thought was a good thing. It's the same sort of thing I do with my kids, but I really wasn't into anything like that. I mean, my parents forced me to take piano lessons and I always loved playing music. So it didn't matter. You know, when I started a band, I didn't need to go somewhere to learn how to start a band. I just forced my friends to start a band with me. So I didn't really have the baseball or the soccer or the football or any of the organized sports or anything like that growing up. So most of my free time was just spent kicking around the neighborhood. And while sometimes that caused some problems, really, it's just something I love to do. It's something that I've noticed. And these are the sorts of things that just make me feel like an old man. For us, something that we'd want to do would just be to go to ride bikes just for the sake of riding a bicycle. We didn't have to be going anywhere. didn't have to have a destination in mind. We would just ride bikes around the neighborhood. And it doesn't seem like that's such a common thing anymore for kids to do, to just jump on a bike and just ride around just for the sake of riding around, or even just to go to the park and play and then ride your bike around. Like the whole point of riding bikes was to actually ride the bike. And it's such a weird thing to to look at my kids now and see what they're doing, see things like Pokemon Go and, and even people who have entire friendships and relationships online with other people via games. Man, that that's just, that's that's outside of my mind grapes, man. I just, I remember playing Nintendo as a kid and my parents would be like, well, you, you need to do something else because no one's ever going to pay you to play video games. And I believed them. Um, and not that I was ever good enough to be one of these professional gamers that, that play now, but there are people, there are people who get paid to play video games, not just testers. These are people who just broadcast themselves playing games. And it's such a weird world for me because that world for me growing up was riding bikes and getting in trouble at the park and trying to climb on top of the pavilion and sometimes falling. I mean, that was my childhood, and my kid's childhood is so different. There's a part of me that wants my children's childhood to be like mine, but it can't be exactly like mine. And so at the end of the day, what I really want is for my kids to have their childhood feel as fun as it did to me in hindsight. And let's be fair, there there were some just sucky aspects of childhood for me. I was pretty socially backwards, had a hard time making friends, especially in elementary school. At one point, there would just be these kids who would pretend to be my friends, but then kind of bully me. And not like the, you know, Christmas story style bullying and not the kind of bullying that we, we tend to think about now with kids actually getting physical, but they would get together and throw pine cones at me at recess and chase me around and all I really wanted all I wanted at that time was to just feel
feel like I belonged. And I think a lot of people can, can relate to that. Um, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine and we were, I was trying to explain to him why Charlie Brown, why peanuts is such a, a wonderful thing. And he was, he was getting angry about it because he watched the Charlie Brown Christmas and everybody's mean to Charlie Brown. Everybody treats Charlie Brown poorly and they call him a blockhead and, and he, he doesn't seem to fit. And the reason I love peanuts is because I always felt like Charlie Brown. I didn't really fit. I didn't fit in, but I desperately, desperately wanted to. And those of you who, who may have known me further on in, in middle school and in high school, if you really think about it, you can see that I've always been desperately trying to fit in. And it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago, after I'd been married a good long stretch, that I figured out that there's no such thing. But you see, when you're a kid and when you're in elementary school, that's all that matters. Even with that, even with the fact that I had a hard time making friends, even with the fact that there were kids who made fun of me and teased me, even with the fact that I got bullied and sometimes got beat up, all of that still doesn't change the fact that I feel like I had a fun childhood. And my parents had a lot to do with that. And my brothers and sisters had a lot to do with that. And, and my friends. These, I mean, I have friends from childhood that I'm still friends with today. And that's what I want for my kid. And I think that's all anybody wants for their kids. I think people just want for it to feel fun, for it to feel like the childhood that they themselves had. And I mean, I don't know how to do that. And I would, I would love some advice in terms of somebody to, to tell me how it is that I can accomplish that or what I could potentially do to make that a little easier or make it work, you know, because I'm, I'm just kind of stuck here. I really want my kids to have a fun childhood. I want to give them fun experiences while at the same time, I don't want them to just sit inside all day sitting on video games. And, and that kind of, it brings me around to sort of the next point. And that is that I, I grew up here. And I enjoy being here. I enjoy spending time here. I had an interesting time growing up. I grew up in the historic district of Sandy. Most people now think of Sandy in a, in a different way than I did when I was there. And it's almost like Sandy's divided into two parts. You've got basically east of 13th and west of 13th East. East of 13th has a very specific thought. This is what it looks like. This is the type of person who lives here. This is the type of house, those sorts of things. And then as you come down west of 13th East, you've got your white cities and you've got the historic district. And the historic district was down at about 80th to 87th South between State and 7th. I think the old city hall used to be there. And the Sandy Elementary is kind of the the centerpiece of that specific space. And I grew up for a while right on Main Street. And it was interesting because I, I feel like an old man because I look at the experience I had growing up and, and how that compares to what my kids go through. And it's just so different. Like near my house, there were several parks, but also near my house, there was a canal, an irrigation canal, but it was just open and unprotected. Uh, for example, if there's a really big rainstorm, the canal could fill up really, really full. And we would have the option then of just going and jumping in the canal. There was a, a feed store. It was called Barker Feed. If you don't know what a feed store is, it's where they sell seeds and, and food for horses and stuff. And I didn't exactly live in a rural part of town. I mean, this was still sandy. You know, some people had horse property and some people had little home gardens, but it wasn't exactly equestrian world. I remember distinctly, I mean, and this, this is just one stupid story, but my band used to practice in my garage at home and we were playing in the garage and doing our whole punk rock thing. And it started raining it started raining hard and we decided to and this was weird for me because i was practice at all costs kind of guy but we decided we were gonna go run around in the rain so here we are we're probably 16 years old running around in this rainstorm and we just keep running and running until we get to barker feed and to get to barker feed you had to cross a bridge over the canal there was the street there was this little footbridge probably about 
eight feet wide, no rails on it, just a bridge across the canal. And we went to that bridge and we just started jumping in the canal. I mean, you've all seen irrigation water. It's pretty disgusting, but it's one of those experiences that I've never forgotten because it feels so much like an innocence of childhood experience. It feels so much like something you do just when you're a kid and you have to worry about it. And those are the kind of experiences, those are the experiences, of course, that I want to talk about. I want to hear other people's experiences as they pertain to this same sort of thing. Like, even if you didn't grow up here, the, the idea of, of nostalgia is such a powerful concept that I find just endlessly fascinating because we all have different experiences. But underlying all of those different and varied and crazy different experiences, we all share common themes in our lives. And, and that's really just what I find endlessly fascinating is the idea that while we all take different paths and travel different journeys and, and walk down different roads or whatever metaphor you want to use, what we end up with is a common human experience. Because whether you're religious or not becomes irrelevant at some point, or whether you're political or not becomes irrelevant at some point, or where you land on the political spectrum just doesn't matter at some point. There are just human experiences that we all have inside that context, among those being things like feeling like you don't belong. You know, maybe some of you haven't ever felt that. Maybe none of you have felt like the outsider. But that feeling of not belonging is something I think that we can all agree on, that we've been through. Because even when you do belong, often you don't feel like you do. Because on some level, aren't we all just kind of uncomfortable in our own skins in, in certain occasions, in certain circumstances? You know, do you ever find yourself being a different person at home than you are at work? Or being a different person with one group of friends versus another group of friends? Or being a different person in order to try and, and, and generate new friendships? Well, I mean, why is that? There's a, there's a concept in a book called Love Warrior, and the author is just so on point with how she puts this. She talks about a concept called the representative and that people tend to go into social situations and they don't take themselves. They don't take themselves and, and put themselves out there. They, they send their representative out ahead of them. They send their representative to deal with the other people who, who hasn't felt that who hasn't had to sit down while meeting someone, whether it would be your future in-laws or a potential boss or someone you want to do business with. And you decide you need to put on the face of the person you know they want. But the thing is, you don't even really know that that's what they want. You don't know what anybody wants. We have this idea, this concept of, of how people expect us to socially interact that's just been handed down to us through generations. And while a lot of it is, is very effective, we don't stop to think why. We don't stop to think why, why do social interactions have to look like this? Why do social action, uh, interactions have to feel a certain way? Why does my clothing matter to this degree? Why does my haircut matter to this, to this degree? Why does anything matter? And we don't really, we don't stop and think about it. We just do. You know, you wear a suit to work because that's what you're told to do. And you're told to do that because somebody told someone else to do that. And somebody told someone else to do that. And these are things that are handed down to us through generations. And these are just ideas. But we don't, we don't even know where they come from. Yet we conform to them because we want to belong. Now, there are people, and I'm assuming plenty of you, who would be attracted to a, to a, a conversation like this, would say, well, that's not me. But even nonconformity is conformity anymore, you know? When, you, when you're making a, a special concerted effort to be a certain way, that's where the system's broken. And I wish I could say that I'm different. I wish I could say that I'm some sort of special special cupcake, uh, sunflower, whatever the terminology is for that. I, I wish I could say I was the unicorn, but I'm not. I mean, I still do this too. But what would the world look like? And what would your relationships look like if you were always just the true you? 
not even the very best version of yourself, just the most real version of yourself. And I'm not talking about real in the sense that it's kind of become popular online to be like, look what a mess I am. Ha 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 ha. No, sometimes we have it together and sometimes we don't. And what if you were able to just show up like that? It doesn't have to be all or nothing. You don't have to appear as though you've got it all together all the time. You also don't have to appear as though you never have it together any of the time. Yet those are the extremes we tend to see. I mean, especially in social media, right? And maybe it's just because we're drawn to extremes where it's entertainment. We look at things and we're just like, we want to see these entertaining things. We want to see these extremes come up and look at them. And maybe somebody who's just, whose life is just a complete cluster cuss. We want to look at them and be like, oh, good. At least my life's not the way. But the truth is, neither is theirs. Or we may look at somebody whose life just looks perfect, looks shiny and polished, and everything looks amazing about their life. And we look at them, we're like, oh, my life's not that way. But then again, neither is theirs. It's something that's bothered me for a long time. And you guys are going to hear me harp on this over and over and over and over again. But why can't we just show up as us? And if somebody knew us back when, why do we feel like we have to revert to that? Why can't we just show up as the person we are? Why do our friends and family tend to not want to allow that? Whether, whether it's growth or whether it's not, you know, somebody who's, who's walking down a different path, taking a different journey, why do we fight that? I mean, we want that freedom for ourselves, but we ourselves want to deny that freedom to somebody else. We want the freedom to grow and to change and to change our opinions and our mind and to change the way we look at the world. But we don't want to give that to someone else. It's almost like, like, God, I, I can't even, I can't even wrap my brain around it. We want freedoms that we're not willing to give other people. And I'm not talking about freedoms in the law sense and freedoms in the, hey, isn't it great to, to live where you live sense. I'm talking about social freedoms to be, have, and do what you want. I don't mean that in an irresponsible way. I don't think anybody wants to just not do anything and be compensated for it. And maybe somebody does, but I mean, how realistic is that? But why is it that we can't interact with our jobs, can't interact with our group of friends, can't interact with our family all in the same way? Is it, is it something we do? Is it something inside of ourselves where it's just like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable inviting work people that far in as I do my family? Well, of course you don't. But do you show up as the same person at work as you are at home? Easy example for me is at home, I've got four kids. They're pretty impressionable. So my language at home is different. I use different words. Sometimes I use really big words just to mess with them. But the, the real concept behind all of that is that I don't use uh, swear words. You know, I try my very best to not swear around my kids. And if I do, as as parents, we all know sometimes that happens. If I do, I have this weird, it's, it's, it's again, it's one of these silly things. It's one of these things that we have inherited. I have this hierarchy of words that are acceptable. And there are some words that I don't think are acceptable for me to say in front of my kids. Now, when I'm sitting around with my buddies and we're having uh, band practice or playing music, whatever it might be, does my vocabulary change? Yes, it does. And sometimes I have to pay attention to it and be like, why? You know, is, 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 there, is there a purpose behind it? Is there a reason that I feel like I need to speak this way? When I'm, when I'm with a certain group of people. But I mean, what's that about? Why, why? I mean, it's not like I talk baby talk to my kids. I talk to my kids probably as though they're much older than they actually are. But the idea that then I can, I can go somewhere else and, and just change the way that I speak. Do I ever think about why? I mean, maybe that's just the big theme. Maybe that's exactly what I think the problem is. Is that so many of us are not spending time thinking why. We're not spending time trying to understand why we do the things we do. We just kind of do them. You know, is it because I feel more freedom with specific groups of friends? Or is it the thing I'm trying to <laughs> talk around and avoid bringing up? 
Is it because I'm trying to fit in? Is it because I feel like if I speak that way, then I belong? And the truth is, these people, these people that I care about, the people that care about me, the people that I spend time with, I belong anyway. They don't care. They don't care if I, if I use different language. They don't care if I'm swearing. That doesn't make them think any, any differently of me. Now, there are people where if I did swear in front of them, it might make them think differently of me. You know, so what's the baseline? What's the person that I am? Am I, am I a swearing person? Am I not a swearing person? I mean, that's, that's a simple example. But how many of you have that same example in your lives? How many of you find yourselves saying something offhand, then realizing who your audience is? Then realizing who's talking to you and where they're coming from? How do things change there? I don't know. It's, 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 it's something to think about. I mean, it's something I'm going to be harping on for a really long time because I, I think it's one of the more important questions that we deal with. But why do we do the things we do? Why do we believe the things that we believe? Why do we treat people the way that we treat people? I mean, the question, the only question in my mind is why. After why, I guess there's other questions. I guess so I shouldn't say the only question. The primary question, the first question you got to ask yourself is why. Not how, or who, or when, but you've got to ask yourself why. And if you know why, then the other questions tend to answer themselves, don't they? Man, that got a little bit in the weeds. That was, that was something. <laughs> so uh, one, one aspect of the, what I want to do here, and it might not be every, every episode, and I don't even know my release schedule yet, but I do want to talk about places, especially places that no longer exist. You know, I have a, a list of places that were, you say, monuments of my childhood that just no longer exist. They're just not there anymore. I want to discuss these places because these places, and I get back to the whole home thing all the time, it's these places that also contribute to that feeling of home. And one of those is an old movie theater, the movie theater I went to growing up. The monument of my childhood was the Sandy Starship Theater. See, I was born in 1979. And the Sandy Starship Theater opened in 1980. We moved to Sandy. I don't even know how old I was. Probably would have been in 1982 or three. I mean, we still, we lived in Murray and there were a ton of places we already lived, but that was our theater. I mean, I grew up in a family of nine, seven kids, two parents, and we didn't have outings that often because taking seven kids anywhere is not just a, an emotional exercise. It's a financial exercise. You know, you've got to be committed to not having any money after that outing. I have four kids and I feel that way about going to the movies. And so the fact that my parents ever took us to movies is just kind of a miracle. We would go to Sandy Starship. There were so many movies I saw there. It was a four theater cinema that was spaceship themed. And uh, I guess the one story I want to tell, uh, the Starship Theater was there on 94th South and 7th East in the Sandy Mall. There's a, a Cinemark Movies 9 that's near where Starship was, but it's not the same location. It's actually part of the recent Starship went out of business. Movies 9 was built as a premier movie house where they would charge full price tickets and that relegated Sandy Starship to being what we all affectionately call a dollar theater. And when Sandy Starship was a dollar theater is when a lot of my memories are there too because that's when I would go to movies with friends to the dollar theater. And unfortunately, Sandy Starship Theater closed down in the year 2000, principally because we've got bigger, better movie houses now, more comfortable seats, those sorts of upgrades. So on the one hand, it's nice because I, I mean I can go to the AMC theaters and sit in these big leather recliners and enjoy my movie, and it's a different experience than sitting on a in a dirty chair that doesn't recline and isn't very soft and be transported to to another space. And God, the 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 balance between nostalgia and reality is is such a hard balance to keep. 
because I enjoy comforts and amenities and I enjoy the technologies that have come up and that have impacted my life now. But I still have these great memories of dirty seats and sticky floors and just wonderful movies. But my favorite story from Starship Theater doesn't actually involve me. It involves my little brother, Mark, when he was 16. So it would have been somewhere... uh, 1996 to 97, 98, somewhere in there, he worked at the movie theater and he he really liked his job. He had a good time at it. It uh, was a dollar theater by that time. So it didn't seem as important to be like crazy professional, which was good for Mark because he, he was not one to conform to authority or even listen to authority very well. But he really loved working at the movie theater. And I don't think he was ever like a projectionist. I think he always worked concessions, which is where he he taught me that the popcorn butter had no butter in it at all. That it was mostly just oil. They had put some other stuff in. And even now, I have a hard time putting... I mean, and I love it. I love theater popcorn with tons of butter on it. But I can't help but think about the fact that it's just oil. I mean, butter's just fat and oil, too. But it's, it's different, you know, when you, when you learn that thing. But Mark... He liked his job. He'd probably he probably only worked there for eight or nine months, um, and they liked him because he showed up. You know, he was he was dependable, and uh, oftentimes at those kinds of businesses, you've got people who just decide they're they're not going to show up. But the other thing he had to contend with is a very popular pastime here. I don't, I don't know how it is everywhere else, but here, a very popular pastime for a lot of people on Christmas Day is to go to a movie as a family. And uh, Mark didn't work want to work on Christmas Day. But they put him on the schedule, and he had requested it off. But I think everybody who worked there had requested it off, and so they put him on the schedule anyway. But he really didn't want to go. And again, being Mark and not one who wants to uh, listen to or obey or acquiesce to authority, he called in sick. Now, it's pretty blatantly obvious when you call in sick on Christmas that you're not really sick. And he wasn't. You know, I'd like to make the case that he was, and it was all a big misunderstanding, but it wasn't. He just didn't want to go to work that day because he wanted to spend the day at home. It was Christmas. You know, he was 16. Nobody wants to work on Christmas, let alone a 16-year-old. So they fired him, and uh, he was still owed a paycheck. And I can't remember why, but for some reason, it, it got in his head that because he'd been fired, he was due a paycheck fairly immediately, that they would have to cut him a check right away rather than uh, waiting till the end of the pay period, then sending him the check for the uh, wages he was due. And so he just kept pestering them, pestering them for his last paycheck within 72 hours or some ridiculousness. And eventually they they just gave up. But um, in, in, a, in a move of brilliance, especially as, as, con- as concerns my brother Mark, because he was kind of a thorn in the side of authority figures, they cut him a check. But they cut him a check for zero dollars and zero cents because they did have to give him a check. And I think they found a loophole where they didn't have to actually give him the check and they could give him the check after the end of the pay period when they were running all their payroll at once. I mean, they did eventually pay him, but he ended up with this payroll check for zero dollars and zero cents. And for a lot of people, if they got that check, they would just be angry, just livid, because that's not what they were after. They had a very specific end in mind, and they didn't get that. They didn't get what they were after. And, and Mark didn't roll that way. Mark thought it was one of the funniest things that had ever happened to him. He had this, this big cork board uh, on his wall, like took up the whole wall. And he just thought that was so funny, he just took that check and he just tacked it on the wall. And uh, he had that, that check on the wall till the day he died. And I imagine that check is somewhere in the boxes of his stuff that are in my, my storage shed. You know, there's probably still an old, faded, probably not even recognizable check from Sandy Starship Theaters for zero dollars and zero cents. 
And I, I mean, how many has, has anybody gotten a check like that? I mean, I once got a, a check from the United States Treasury for like 27 cents because I overpaid on some taxes. But I've never gotten a check for nothing. I've never gotten a check for nothing. And that was was always a fun, I and mean, I've always remembered it. Well, that's it for today. Next time, I think we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the history of public schools, which is just a very sexy topic when you think about it. But it is more interesting than I thought it was going to be. So kick with me next week or the week after. Still don't know what my release schedule is going to be because I'm an idiot. But hang with me and we'll try and talk about some interesting stuff. And after the next episode, I've got some interviews lined up, like I mentioned. So we'll get some other voices on the podcast. But until then, we will talk to you later.